All right, so welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. I am your host, the Afro Boy, Prince Unity, and this is the Lost African Podcast, where we talk about what Afro culture, financial literacy, and controversy. Controversy is social, political, and we get down to the nitty gritty of those need to be conversations, those things that we as a diaspora, we as uh, Black people, the earth, we as a melanin people need to talk about culturally, whether it's internally, culturally, from culture to culture. Um, any cultural understandings to, to what we collectively deal with in this world, uh, being socially perceived as black, even though we are all uh, take our blackness on an individual level. Uh, we do end up being in this uh, collective box. What do you want to think about it that we are not, but we're going to talk about it. Uh, thank you for everybody that chimes in. Thank you for everybody that supports the show. Please like, share, subscribe uh, to the podcast on Apple and Spotify. Thank you for everybody that listens, like, share, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Lost Africa Podcast, and the Facebook blog. And but we're gonna get into it. So, as you guys know, every Wednesday we do uh a conceptual piece, right? So it'll be based in um the last days of Tommy Lee Gray, which is aired on Apple TV. But you know, you know, black folks can always find a way, we don't need them subscriptions. Um you know, if you got a fire stick or whatever, hey, get to it. But it's based by Samuel Jackson. He plays a 90-year-old uh, man who has dementia. But he goes on this mission before he ends his last days. He goes on this mission, vows to find the killer of his nephew and save his people, right? Because he has this black treasure that was left by uh, his adopted uncle, Koi Dog. Can you believe <laughs> through... Um, what some people call Gullah or uh, Plantation Creole. I finally figured out how to correctly say his name. But we're going to get into it. So, uh, this is episode five. The first scene goes back to Tommy Lee, right? Tommy Lee, as a little boy, uh, walking with Koi Dog to take him actually to a saloon. Now, a seven-year-old boy might not have known what this place actually was. Uh, it was just a place where black folks was, was partying. And you see him jucking and what they call shucking and jiving. Um, yes, I was raised by uh, Southern black folks. Uh, my grandparents uh, actually is from where one of my grandparents actually is from where it's uh, shot. One of my grandparents is from Georgia and the other one is from Arkansas. But yeah, so he takes him to a saloon, right? And this seven-year-old boy, this is the first time uh, where he says... To, to Robin in, in the ongoing scene where he felt happy. Uh, the place was live. Uh, black men and women was dancing. There was music. They was playing like, uh, I guess you call it bebop because it seemed like a mixture of upbeat jazz, you know, happy dance to jazz, but it had a sort of mellow type of blues to it. I'm a music lover, so I'm very detailed when I explain music. Um, but in the same notion, in the same saloon, he sees a man uh, get killed. Uh, two brothers. Um, we can go about that on a philosophical level. They get into a fight over money. One one brother perceives that uh, one black man perceives that other black man uh, cheating. So they get into a fight, and uh, the 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 black woman who historically loves her black man, like they love us. I, I won't. I, I really want y'all to try to understand that, and it doesn't have to always be on a. Uh, wife and husband relationship level black women as a collective have a love for us 
that is unshivering over the years. They lost. Um, but she was protecting one. You know, she was like, that's my man. Don't touch him. And uh, she ends up stabbing the other brother. Right. Uh, so that's where he sees his first body is seven years old. Now, um, then it goes into him on the, like a next dream where he sees his wife, Cincy, walking in the door late at night because um, he's waiting on her. Right. And she's coming home after being out all night with another partner. So he confronted her like you just out all night and I'm sitting up here waiting on you faithfully, you know, because I love you. And I don't think we ever talk about um, toxicity in the deep love that we have for one another. We can love each other so much that that love can also be a harm to us if we do not take care of each other in the right way. So we even reference that in the godly way, in the spiritual way, in the healthy way. There's a, there's a great way to have a healthy relationship based around black love. We can actually have that, but we have to build the collective up because what, what does the collective need? The collective needs uh, examples. Young black men, especially today, need better examples. And we, as the black men of the era, of this era, which I believe is between 40s and early to late 20s, is that era of the new age and new change in black men. We can we can shift the way young black men, the teenagers and the little boys, uh, view us and view themselves. But uh, yeah, so you know, Uncle Gray is up waiting her all wait <laughs> waiting up for her all night. You know that that can drive a man to drink, and these are symptoms of what you call a toxic relations, toxic relationships. But you know, they do have love for each other, but that doesn't mean that the love is always healthy. Now, Robin comes home, and they sit down and talk. You know, she asks him why he up late, and you know, he tell about her nightmares and. Um, has since he, uh, especially in the image of his family, is perceived as the healthiest woman for him, right? You know, that they thought that his family thought she was no good, and to be honest, she probably was to some extent, right? When you were love, and I've experienced this, I've loved a black woman so much that I just didn't care about whatever else she was doing, right? Even though it was right in my face sometimes, she didn't, she didn't hide it. Really, I kind of accepted it because I loved her so much. And I thought that if I loved her hard enough and showed some form of, of growth of what she wanted, it would change. And then she would just come and be with me. Right. So I understand Tommy Lee on, on this level. I really do understand. Great. And I think it was God and my ancestors who, who moved me to watch this series. Because I feel like I'm attached to him, even being a young man. Um, but I like the way that Uncle Gray talks to Robin about uh, life, his home, being up front with him about sex and relationship. Because she brings up um, being out. He brings up being out all night with uh, with the new young boy, Roger. Uncle Gray get right to it. He asks, hey, do Roger treat you right? He say, yeah, you know, well, you're out with him at four in the morning. You know, he, you willing, 
he able you too and it's directed to have that 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 um you know have live your life express the wilds because he remembers being young but he doesn't sugarcoat it he talks to her up front um but in a subtle way about you know having sex and i understand that you're young wild and free and i like the way that he he guides her in this in this in this world this father figurely way and i hope that i can create that relationship with my niece um, but he also pushes her to have a better future, to have a b- bright future. He always reminds her that there's possibility in this world, especially as a young, and she should go for it. Now, um, but he also talks about even though you're being, there's a benefit to being young in that same manner, there's a benefit to being old, being an elder, being wise, that uh, a lot of our elders, and this is true, I see it with my elders that I work with, right? Some of the things that I may not always perceive as the white way of taking it, I also understand that they are this way because they have lived life. So there isn't a fear of life. And I'm not saying all young people have a fear of life, but they're here. They like, I've done it. I've experienced these things. Ain't too much you can really shock me with, wave me with um, where I am today being this age. So uh, then we move on, right? So Uncle Gray takes uh Robin, a bird. I like calling her bird. You know, I'm I'm a little I'm a little country, even though I'm from the city. I really am. So he takes Bird down to Buckhead and to, to meet Uncle's lawyer. And what he ends up telling uh the lawyer and you know convulsion to Bird is that he is creating and changing his wheel so where she can be the controller of his wheel you know and once she discovers that she's like what i why is you doing all this he says because i I trust you right i trust you i believe in you um i cherish and care for you and this is the route i want to take as going down the the journey of my last wishes basically Uh, and of course you know the lawyer asks him why he says she saved me when no one else would she loved him when no one else would. Um, and then after that, she sort of, Bert sort of explains to him that, you know, everything that he's doing is a lot of pressure. And she felt like he was paying her as a saint. That, that she, she doing this out, out of the godliness and the church loving of her heart that, uh, that she is without falter. And as you go throughout the episode and even throughout the series, he tries to tell her that, no, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying I see the good in you. I understand that you have faults. I've been walking this life around with a lot of faults, and you'll see that as we talk more about the story. But he says he gets it, that, but that's not why he chose her. So um, going into it, uh, he calls uh his nephew Reggie's wife, Nina. He says, Nina, I got something to tell you at the eulogy. Uh, as he's, you know, sound body and mind, his memories coming back, he's able to express everything he wants to express. He says, I need you to come at, come out here so I can talk to you with, about this eulogy. So, uh, and he says, I got some money for you. I need you to come down here. Now, surprisingly, on that same phone, there's a man that answers. And you would think that, you know, 
most what is perceived to be upright women uh, really wouldn't be involved with any other man, you know, to any capacity right after their husband dies. Right, So it's a little odd. They're like, man, who is this man? But, you know, Uncle Gray been on it for a while. Uh, so, uh, as everybody gets to the, to the repast, to the eulogy, um, as that, cause that's where they meet up. He meets up with, uh, with Nina and, and they confront, they reminisce about Reggie. She give him the money, uh, Uncle Greg getting Nina the money. And, um, they talk, he talks and tells her about what he wants for the kids and her life and her life to be better. Uh, and they reminisce about Reggie and being a good man and so forth. And then Ro young Roger comes up, pulls up to the to the eulogy, and they talk. They walk and they talk about life. And I think Roger expresses that I know that this is new for you. I know that this is fresh. I know that this is this is uh young while they're young. But he he tells her that he cares for her. He even he even connects it to the story about. Uh, his father and his mother, right? How they met and they was together for so, so many years, 60 plus years. Because how Birdie views life, Birdie views life in a very tough manner. Birdie views life in the way of the reality. She don't really got time for for fairy tales and fantasies because her life ain't been a fairy tale of fantasy her life has been a lot of harsh and some would even say a nightmare right so but he says that you know through their love they got through a lot of triumphs right Regis, I mean not Regis, Roger's father and mother and they loved each other so much they, were, they became each other's all so much that when it was time for uh, Roger's mother to pass because she had cancer and they was going through all those trials and tribulations, that she asked his wife, well, his, his mom asked her husband to kill him, his father, right? And Bird is like, how can a person love somebody that much and then ask them to do this, ask them to, you know, end their life? He says, because they were there all. Because I am his all, he's mine. I can tell him to do this. But it's basically to say that, you know, that there was more to life, right? And of course, in short, Robin's like, well, that's all good and gettable, but you're getting it. He's like, well, I believe that that love can exist. And he probably can exist between them two. Now, Robin's like, what? You know what I'm saying? That that sounds sweet and all. And she like him. She like, I like you and all. But I got a lot going on, right? So then he says, he smiles and he says, I get it. You know, he's, he's hinting that, yeah, I get it. You got a lot going on. Uh, but he says, you know, when my father asked my mother to marry him six times before he said yes. And that was a, a subtle way of saying, I get all that. Just like you got time and you got a lot going on in your life. I got time to wait. Oh, you got a lot going on in your life. And I like that depiction, especially coming from a young black couple. I like this depiction that the possibility of, of, of developing healthy black love, even in the young stage, and as they get older, they develop and grow together, is a possibility, and that there was examples of seeing that before through uh, a two 
parent household. He has that image that this version of black love, healthy black love can exist because there was an example of that in his household. Yes, I catch all of the undertones through the episode. I'm telling you, it's a lot, right? Um, now, what's funny is that I finally, finally caught on to the real reason why they call him the memory doctor. Right, I think his name is Dr. Roberts. We do that. Black folks, especially in black culture from North America, we give a lot of people nicknames. Yo, we, we just do that. That's how we remember y'all. Um, but he called him Satan, right? And I'm and I'm I got it because the, the memory doctor is the ex metaphorical example of what the 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 trade-off that Satan gives or the devil gives to those in life for your soul. Because remember, he signed a contract. He literally sold over his body to get his memory back. But he did that. He sacrificed himself. And Lord behold, even though this is a, a fictional character, that that brings him up to heavens and brings him up to the ancestors um, and gets him a place uh, next to God. But in just he understood that, yeah, I understood what I what I told you. You can have my body for this amount of money. But he also tells him in the same sense as I understand why. Uh, I was given this opportunity to not save all my black people because they got problems. Us as a diaspora, we got problems. We have social issues on top of social issues with each other that we just don't even want to admit. But that's why I made the show, because we've lost the connection to one another to even be willing to stand and understand one another. Um, but he says, I did all this to empower my people. I might not save them all. Same with me. I'm in this exact same boat. People tell me this all the time. My dream is so big. You People tell me that the dream to unify all my people on any form of level is so big that they don't think it's attainable, especially the older black folks, especially. But they said that the king, I guarantee you somebody said that the king, I guarantee you somebody said that the Malcolm, I guarantee you somebody said that the Steve Biko, I guarantee you somebody said that the Marcus Garvey. But they believed in that dream enough to keep it going. And what did that dream do? Make a change. Made a step. Some people may feel like it might not have been permanent, but they started walking. So I believe in this show. I believe in the words that I speak. I believe in the knowledge that I gain. I believe in my ideal that there is a possibility. The same way this man, I am a man from a neighborhood. I am a man from the hood, from the structures of Chicago that is perceived. That was at one point the capital of the world. And they changed the, the Chicago was so bad that they changed it to Chirac. I grew up in this city in that era. And you hear me talking about this today. So what does that tell you as a young black man who was perceived to be only a product of his, of his environment, who was perceived to only be uh, leading down the path of dead or in jail? I have become this man. Who was not done growing and becoming a better black man, becoming a better African descended man. So my ancestors can truly smile upon what it is that I will bring to my people. And I might not bring it to all of them, but I promise you there is going to be a week. And that's how Uncle Gray feels. On his last uh, days in his walk. So 
in the eulogy, right? Sorry to get off track. In the eulogy, he tells his life story and why he talked about uh, his nephew, Reggie. That his nephew, Reggie, was the true reflection of what great black men in our community can be. That they that he cared for his elders and his children. That that man had a, had a God-loving heart. And you could tell. He was the, he was the nephew that tolerated with love he tolerated with love for his for his uncle he didn't abandon his uncle went to a house to where he he the hygiene was horrible he smelled horrible the house was dirty the house had roaches he didn't run and turn his back on his family especially his uncle he loved his uncle enough to say i'm going to support you the way that i can and i'm not going to abandon you like your life was worthless like your life meant nothing to this family like you didn't bring anything to this family Right. And he tells um, his life story in reflection to that, saying that that was a great black man that, that I can't hold a candle to that. And I'm going to tell you why. He tells the truth about his wife, Sensei. Yes, he loved her unconditionally. That love may not have been always healthy. That love may have been very, very toxic. Right. To an extent. That his family told him that since it was no good, that since it was out all night with other people, men, women, whatever the case may have been, having her thrills and spending his money, that um that she was selfish. And then he tell he tells one probably hard truth that a lot of men um go through in real life, like a lot of these things we really go through, that um. He had a daughter with a lady because he left uh, a woman that he was dealing with. I believe her name was Claudia in the series. He left a woman that he was dealing with um, for Cincy, right? And that she didn't reveal to him that she had got her pregnant while they was having their relations. So his long lost daughter comes to his comes to his door. And he don't he don't do the fairy tale version. He don't do none of that. Open arms, embraces her, all cries it out, tells him he's sorry about uh leaving her behind and so forth. He says, You got to be mistaken. Right? But out of all the bad talk that they did about Sensei, when Sensei seen her, he she she knew. She knew that. That was his daughter. She brought him back upstairs, brought her back upstairs and says, you need to build a relationship with this girl. This is your daughter. You should show her some love. And he couldn't do it. Years he sent resenting her because that was a past that he did not want to remember. He didn't treat his daughter right. And his daughter ended up uh, committing suicide. Right. And he probably regrets that he lives with that. And through these acts, I think he's at the same time while he's trying to uh, avenge his nephew, repent for his life that was not perfect, that has its faults and flaws. Um, and even even for his daughter's mother, that he didn't keep in contact with his his daughter's mother to the point to where he didn't even know that she had passed away. He didn't even know she died. Now, um, 
he confronts, Uncle Gray confronts uh, Nina, which is Reggie's wife, about, you know, what happened to Reggie, the information that he had, and what she may or may not have known about his death, what led to his death, who caused his death. And through her breakdown, she explains that she had hints that it most likely was Alfred, the man that's been dealing with her now. But what you see in this and what she explains in this, because I know y'all going to be like, man, that is horrible. How can you stand next to a man that even supposedly killed your husband, right? Because she says, I'm a good, good wife. I'm a good, good woman. I loved him. I loved him. I loved him. And a part, part of the women of today, even uh, damaged women can love a man. I believe that a part of her did love Reggie. But she tells Uncle Gray that she met Alfred when she was 13. So this is a manipulated woman. Women can be groomed. This is very true. She was a manipulated woman. She met him at 13. Um, and their relationship, it, it's sort of like a, what they call a captive syndrome. She doesn't know how to shake it. And she tells him, she, I just don't know what it is. I don't know how to break away from him. And this is a real reality for the women of today, of any complexion, of any ethnicity, of any race. Women go through this today, but this is a really, really, really uh, hard and, and sad thing that our black women go through today. That's why black men have to be better. We need to go to counseling. We need to talk to each other as a collective. We need to talk to our families that this is not the way the black men are supposed to hold their principles, hold their women up in this life. We are supposed to be better. Mm. But yeah, she confronts. Uh, Uncle Gray confronts Nina about Alfred what he knew, what he suspected, and that Alfred killed him in a jealous rage out of the fact that that is supposed to be uh, his woman. To the point that Alfred even pulls up to the, to the eulogy. And what does Uncle Gray do? Confronts that man. He says, look, check this out. Young blood. I know what you're about. You're about that money. You're a selfish man. He says that, you know, I got a deal for you. I'm going to cut a deal with you. You come by my house tomorrow at 2 o'clock and we're going to holler at you about this money. Just stay away from them kids because you will be the end of them. You will destroy. He perceives that you will destroy that bright light in the future of them. Those kids who are the future of us as a collective. He will not let that happen. He says, you know what? I will pay you to go away and you will take this money because you are the damaged Goods of our collective, he say, nigga, please, you gonna go and take this money. Don't don't be high mighty talking about some old oh, that's the boys, my son. And man, he said, cut it. The greatness in that boys come from my nephew, and I believe that that is so hardly true. Because a, a good man impacts a young boy's life to the fullest. My mother tells me this every day. Sometimes it'd be hard to uh Hard to believe it, but sometimes I see it when I confront my nephews. Sometimes I believe it when I whisper things. Well, I talk, I don't say whisper, but, but I talk to them and tell them positive things, give them a reflection to see that there's growth in them, that they don't have to do uh, 
the things that have been netted in our stricken environments that we can be better, be greater, and that we are. And they listen. My mom tells me this all the time. They says that they listen to you. They look up to you. And I am at the point to where I realize what that is and the impact that that has. And that I will walk this path um, for my people, for my family, and for myself to make the world better, to make the reflection of us as a diaspora, as African descendant people, as black people. I want to change the notion that, that how we are looked at in this world and that that can have a positive effect on humanity because I can walk side to side by any man as long as he treats me fairly as a fellow man. I can work with you. I can talk to you. Yeah, there will be cultural difference. Yeah, there will be um, cultural cultural individualities. But I won't wake up hating you. No, not at all. If you need food, I will share my food with you because I understand that you have come to the point that I have. That we are human, that we are men in this world, that our women are women in this world, and we can treat each other with the form of love that our religions, no matter what it is, teaches us. And that's the point of this show. So I hope you like, subscribe, share to the YouTube channel. Give the uh, podcast a five-star rating. Um, shout out to Spotify for holding us down over these two years. Man, it's been a long time. Um, give us a five-star rating. Leave a comment. Leave a like. Leave a share on the YouTube channel, Lost African Podcast, um, on Facebook also. And hopefully you gain some important information, some valuable information from this show. And I will holler at y'all later. All right? See you.